Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, as you know, there's been a burst recently of militant atheism. Lots of books and articles have appeared debunking the very idea of God and religion. Now, all this flies in the face of the stubborn fact that 95% of Americans believe in God. That's been proven in study after study over many years. This nearly unanimous affirmation must be grounded in something substantive. You read the atheists, they'll say, well, sure, people believe in God because it's just wishful thinking, it's a projection of their desires, etc. But come on, that can't be the case. Something as powerful and consistent as the belief in God, must be grounded in something very real. My sense is that most believers probably grasp, at least intuitively, the truth of this argument. There must be something like a first cause or a first mover to explain the world and those things in it. People know by kind of intuition that the impermanency and contingency of the world have to be grounded in something substantial. And this we call God. And in the face of that intuition, the objections of the atheists ring pretty hollow. But I must say this. There is at least one great and cogent argument against the existence of God. One that's been felt throughout history and one that the atheists do revive. It's the argument that flows from the fact of evil. I think it's the only finally serious argument against God's existence. It goes like this. If God is all good, all-knowing, all-powerful, there'd be no evil. Why? Well, God would know about it. He's all-knowing. He could do something about it. He's all-powerful, and he'd want to do something about it. He's all-benevolent. Therefore, if there is evil, then at least that God can't exist. That's the way John Stuart Mill, the great 19th century philosopher, expressed that argument. And I would say even if most people couldn't express it with the eloquence and precision of Mill, they feel the truth of it in their bones. Anyone who's dealt with someone who is going through a time of real suffering knows that they feel the power of this argument. And may I say, the Bible is well aware of this problem. Even the most cursory glance at the book of Job, at many of the Psalms, at the writings of the prophets, reveal a profound wrestling with this dilemma of the good and faithful God on the one hand, who, on the other hand, somehow allows terrible suffering and injustice and cruelty in his world. Biblical authors feel this dilemma. They feel this tension as much as any of the great atheists do. 
What's the consistent biblical response? Well, it's summed up beautifully in our first reading for this weekend. It's taken from that lyrical middle section of the book of the prophet Isaiah. Here's a line now from our second reading. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways, says the Lord. St. Paul echoes this when he says in Romans, O Lord, how unscrutable your judgments, how unsearchable your ways. Listen, the Bible denies neither the fact of evil, as some philosophies and religions do. You can see that across the centuries. Some philosophies, some religions say, well, evil is an illusion. Evil doesn't really exist. None of that in the Bible. The Bible knows all about the fact of evil. But neither does the Bible deny the existence of a loving God, as the atheists do. Rather, it holds the two in tension on the basis of the transcendence and inscrutability of God. Let me say that again, because that's the biblical way of dealing with this. It holds the two in tension. Evil is present. A loving God exists. And it holds them in tension on the basis of the transcendence and inscrutability of God. God is indeed good and just. Though we often have a very hard time grasping precisely how this goodness and justice are being worked out. What looks like deep injustice or simply dumb suffering can, in fact, the Bible says, be ingredient in God's overall design. Let me try to explicate this principle with a couple of examples. First, let me draw your attention to a famous story in the Zen tradition. You'll find lots of versions of this in the Zen uh, stories. It goes something like this. There was an old farmer who'd worked his fields for many years with the help of his faithful horse. One day the horse ran away, and the farmer's friends commiserated with him, and they, and they expressed their anxiety and sorrow. His response was, We'll see. A week later, the horse returned with three wild horses who had followed him. His friends this time said, What good luck! How fortunate you are! The farmer responded, We'll see. A week later, the farmer's son was riding one of the untamed horses. He was thrown to the ground and broke his arm. His friends gathered and said, What bad luck! We're so sorry about what happened to your boy. And the farmer said, We'll see. A week later, the king sent his soldiers through the countryside to draft young men for the army. But they left the farmer's son alone since he was injured. His friends said, How lucky, how fortunate you are. And the farmer said, We'll see. 
And on and on it goes in all the versions of this story. The farmer's response is, hmm, we'll see what happens. I know this looks bad. I know this looks good. But in the grand scheme of things, it can change. In the grand scheme of things, it might be completely different. I think this story has a profound sense for us Christians. The wisdom of the farmer consists in the fact that he does not jump to the conclusion that he fully grasps the good and evil that seem to lie before him. His friends, yes, think they understand clearly, unambiguously, what's good, what's evil, what's just, what's unjust, what's lucky, what's unlucky. But the farmer knows in the grand scheme of things, all those values can be reversed. What looks like the worst luck might be the best thing that ever happened to you, and vice versa. And so, Christians, here's the biblical take, I think. When we rail against God for doing or not doing, for allowing or not allowing, for being unfair or uncaring, we should be patient. Realizing that things are taking place within a context that we only vaguely understand. I'm going through something terrible and I say it's dumb suffering and I curse God. How could there even be a God if I suffer this way? Ah, but the context in which that suffering is happening I can barely grasp it. A better response in light of faith is, we'll see. We'll see how this fits into God's design. Now, turn it around. Something wonderful happens to you. You think it's the best possible luck. Well, detachment's still a good thing. We'll see how this fits into God's overall design. Now, with that story in mind, let's turn briefly to that famous parable of Jesus that is our gospel for this weekend. You know the story well because it always bugs us. The man hires workers at various times of the day, but then pays them all the same wage at the end of the day. Those who are working hard in the hot sun all day get paid the very same thing as those who were hired at the last minute, worked maybe a half hour. By all appearances, this is injustice. And that's precisely what the workers say to the man. Well, this is unfair. We identify with that fellow who complains. Unjust on the surface? Yeah, sure. But what about at deeper levels? What do the complainers perhaps not see? Are there perhaps dimensions to this situation that only the owner understands. Now, I'm just going to speculate here a little bit. I don't know. But does he know, perhaps, that those hired at the end of the day were particularly desperate? Maybe they'd been out of work for a particularly long time. Maybe they needed that extra wage. Maybe they were experiencing personal difficulties. Maybe he knew it, but the other workers didn't. Maybe he knew that those hired early in the day 
could benefit from a full day's work. It'd be good for them, psychologically, physically. I don't know. I mean, I'm just speculating, and we could go on and on. My point is, what looks on the surface just like injustice, when we open up these ever-wider horizons and contexts of meaning, can look very different indeed. Surface injustice, surface evil, is not always injustice or evil in the grand scheme of things. God is the owner of the vineyard. God is the one who hires. That's a metaphor for God's complete lordship over his universe. Do things happen justly, fairly? Yes, they do if we look at them from God's perspective. Though clearly looked at from our perspective on the surface of things, they are anything but just, equal, fair. But that, friends, is often just a matter of perception. So, how do we maintain this tension between the fact of evil, we're not denying it for a second, and the existence of God? We do it not by denying God, how facile, how easy that is. What we do instead is we say with Isaiah, the ways of the Lord, they're as high above the earth as the heavens are. How strange, how perplexing the ways of God. We are urged to see things from the standpoint of God's transcendent governance of the universe. And then we can see how God is good and is just, even in the midst of our own struggles and difficulties. We surrender and trust to the one who is governing the universe, though we do not understand his ways. And may God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.